Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians as we continue our walk through 2 Corinthians. I don't know if I just said chapter 7, but I meant chapter 8. So chapter 8, we are actually moving along and uh, getting all the technical things here together. So we just spent nearly two and a half months going through chapter 6 and chapter 7. And we are going to speed things up a little bit now as we go through chapter 8 and 9. But I'm, I'm actually really excited about these two chapters. Uh, in fact, I don't think it would be overstating it for me to say that I believe they hold a key to the abundant life that Jesus has offered us in Christ. So I want to begin by praying and just asking God to speak loud and clear to our hearts this morning. And then we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much. You are powerful, God. You are amazing and awesome, God. And we are so grateful that through Christ, we are Yours. And we are in Your kingdom. Lord, we want to be a part of that kingdom work. We want to be a part of the, the awesome work that You're doing right now right here. So we pray, God, that you will stir our hearts in a fresh way, that you will inspire our hearts, that you will touch our hearts, and also that you will help us, Lord, to, to get a sense of faith for how you desire to use each of us individually and us together corporately for your purposes, and help us to trust that you have the power. We don't need to bring the power to the game, Lord. We just depend upon you. So Lord, I pray you stir and fan flame of faith in our hearts today. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever come in to a conversation, you, you're in the middle of the conversation, and you realize very quickly that you don't know exactly what's being talked about? You, you know that there's something that's happened that you missed, and, in, and it's, if somebody doesn't kind of get you up to speed, you're lost. You don't understand exactly what's saying. Well, that's kind of chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. We are walking into the middle of a conversation that has been going on between Paul and the Corinthians for almost a year. So they know exactly what he's talking about, but we need to do a little catching up. Here's what's going on. Believers in Jerusalem are going through a consistently hard time for their faith. If you remember in the book of Acts chapter 8, most of Christianity, most Christians and disciples are in Jerusalem. And then what comes along? Persecution. And that persecution scatters the disciples so that you know, most of them leave Jerusalem and scatter throughout the different regions in the area. Well, that persecution is still in the air in Jerusalem. The leaders that hated Jesus and crucified Jesus are still leading in Jerusalem. And so there is, a, um, there is a, an anti-Christian sentiment in Jerusalem. They are, as a church, believers are being ostracized Socially and also economically, their friends and their family don't want to associate with them if they name the name Jesus, and people don't want to hire them. 
if they are publicly known as Christians. So the result is the church in Jerusalem is suffering and they are impoverished. And so about a year earlier, Paul began a relief collection. He began to go to churches specifically in Greece, Gentile churches, and he began to call upon them to save money as an offering towards the church in Jerusalem. And so Greece is broken into two regions, Macedonia to the north and Achaia to the south. Corinth is in the wealthier area of Achaia in the south. Churches like Philippi and Thessalonica are in the poorer sections uh, in the poorer region of Macedonia. And so, <clears throat> when Paul went to Corinth a year earlier and started this collection, there was great enthusiasm and generosity, and they pledged a great amount of money, so much so that their example inspired the churches in Macedonia to also be generous in their giving. <clears throat> well, now it's time for Paul and others to take that collection, to, to take the pledges, collect the money, and take it to Jerusalem. And Paul is a little concerned that the enthusiasm the Corinthian church had a year earlier has waned over the past year, especially with some of the relational tensions that have gone on. So he now hopes the generosity of the Macedonian churches will inspire Corinth to be faithful to the generous pledges they made. Let's begin reading chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. May God bless us the reading of His Word. There have been a lot of books written about how to find the secret to a fulfilled, meaningful, happy life. I think the reason these books tend to sell well is that there is a nagging sense in so many people that they're not living a fulfilled, happy, meaningful life. I mean, we don't talk about it much, but 
there seems to be something just beyond our reach, a secret to a fulfilled, happy life, like the ones we see in the commercials. You know what I'm talking about? If, if you just you know, drink this soda or, or take a vacation in this place, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy, everybody's having a good time. Or if you just look at the posts of everyone else, everybody's life is full. Here's me eating a steak. Here's me on the beach in a beautiful area. Here's me enjoying time with friends and everything is happy. But deep inside, many people, maybe to some degree, all people feel like everyone else knows the secret to the fulfilled, happy, meaningful life and I didn't get the memo. Even as Christians, we're not exempt from that. Listen, we... I know I speak for all of us when I say we derive such comfort and such hope and such meaning in our Savior. What would life be without knowing Jesus? I wouldn't want to know that. But when we're really honest, we can feel like there is more to the Christian life than what we are currently experiencing. You know what I'm talking about. Like there is a, a gap somehow between what the Bible describes the Christian experience to be and what we experience as the Christian life. The other night we were watching the show The Chosen. And we got to this point where Peter's got all this weight. He's going to be arrested in the morning. They, they bring some added backstory. Uh, into the story but it, it's he's got all this weight and he goes out for one night last night to catch fish to pay off the romans so that he's not arrested and they work all night with his friends and they don't catch a single thing and in the morning who's standing on the shore as they come in with empty boats but jesus and jesus sends them back out says try one more time guys and they're like all right we will try it one more time they begin to pull in nets of fish so heavy so greatly so full that they can't even they can barely get them into the boats they got it their friends have to run over help them get them in the boats and in that moment there is such like there's laughter like a miracle like that you don't just sit there and say hmm that's that's nice that's very religious you laugh right well can you imagine It'd be like if you owed a million dollars and then suddenly like dollars just started flying. I don't even know what that would look like, but you know, can you imagine? You'd be laughing. I mean, and they're laughing and they're excited, but they're also in unbelief. They can't believe this is happening. And so all, all this is going on, and as I'm watching, I'm like, Lord, man, I want to see the power of your work. I want to see you do the, what I know you are able to do more than I am more than I currently am experiencing. I want to see those, those works from your hand that transform lives, that bring people to saving faith in Christ, that show you to be powerful. God, I long for that. I want to see that. Maybe you do too as well. I want to see the fun of that. I want to see the excitement of that. The joy of seeing people 
testify of God radically transforming their lives and touching them where they were hell-bent running this way and now they are heaven-bent running this way. I want to see that. And it can feel like there's a gap. There's a gap. And we want to know the secret that will take us from this life to this life. Well, I don't know if this is a secret per se, but I believe that one of the bridges that span the gap and that help our lives get more in the game is found in these verses. And surprisingly enough, it has to do with money. It has to do with money. And you probably weren't expecting that. But it's true. It has a lot to do with money. Because the truth is, there are few things that have as powerful an impact on our lives as money. In fact, I'm going to say something that might surprise some of you even more. There are few things that have as much ability to bless our lives, enlarge our lives, and enable us to live that full and, and meaningful life as money has. And right about now, I can imagine some of you are thinking, especially if you're newer in this church, you're thinking, man, if I just walked into like a health and wealth prosperity church, you know, is that Creflo Dollar up there speaking? You know, what, 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 I I didn't come here for a message about money. That's the message the world's blaring at me all the time. You know, the message of the world loud and clear is the good life The successful life, the meaningful life, is the one that accumulates a lot of money. So get as much money as you can. Is that what I am saying this morning? Uh Uh-uh, no. See, the Bible brings a twist to this issue of money. The Bible reveals to us that the impact of money on our lives, the power to bless our lives, to enlarge our lives, and to enable us to live a full and meaningful life doesn't come from getting money. It comes from giving money. It comes from generosity. As Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. That's a true biblical principle that we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks. If we want to live large, we need to live generously. There's no way around that. And I'm not just talking about money. But money is incredibly important. We know that because... Jesus spoke more about money than He did about heaven and hell combined. We'll talk about why that is. But it's not just about being generous with money. It's about being generous with our time. It's about being generous with our skills, our gifts. It's about being generous with our possessions. It's about being generous with our our love. Generous with our help. Generous with our compassion. And so I want from this passage to just draw two points about generosity. And we're not going to cover this whole chapter. And so there's so much we're not going to talk about in this chapter. I just want to warn you about that. But I want to focus our eyes on two points from this chapter. The first is this. Generosity is God's grace in action in our lives. Read with me again verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God 
the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul says to the Corinthians, I want you to know about the grace of God powerfully at work in the Macedonian churches. And what does that grace look like? He describes three things. Severe affliction. Extreme poverty. And abundance of joy. One of these things is not like the other. They're suffering severe affliction. They live in extreme poverty. And they're full of joy. They are full of joy. These things don't seem to go together. But Paul says they together, these three things, severe affliction, extreme poverty, and abundance of joy have overflowed in wealth. But read it carefully. Not wealth of money. Wealth of generosity. You see, when the Bible measures generosity, it doesn't turn to the wealthy. It turns to the poor. It turns to those who don't have a lot of money, but are generous with what they have. The widow who gave all she had. It's like a double truth going on at once. The amount of money she put in that offering wouldn't make a bit of difference to the temple budget. Not a bit. Two mites. Nothing. And the amount of money she put in to the offering got Jesus' attention so much that people are putting in money, the rich are putting in money with loud you know, horn blasts and everything. She puts these little two mites in and Jesus says, come here guys, I want you to see this. He stops everything. You see her, what she gave? She gave everything she had. It was a sign of devotion to God. Generous. The Macedonians have extreme poverty. They don't have money. And they have extreme generosity. They're begging Paul, can we give to this offering to help others? The churches in Achaia are much more affluent than the churches in Macedonia. They can afford to give more. But Paul isn't trying to compare the amounts. It's not about the amounts. It's about the generosity. It's about the heart. Generosity is grace in action. It's God's grace working in our lives in action. Read with me verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so Titus has gone to kind of start this offering, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul says to them, this church, you know, <clears throat> and actually, you know, I just thought of this. 
it's always dangerous when you think of something while you're preaching that's not even something you've thought out. So that's probably how heresy begins. But I don't think this is heresy. Paul says to them, guys, you excel in speech and faith and knowledge and all these things. But this is the church that has a lot of problems. But Paul's not identifying those problems right now. He's identifying you guys have a lot of grace going on in your lives. I also love the way that he squeezes in you excel in our love for you. I love that. That's not something they're doing. That's something they're receiving. That's just Paul's way of saying, you know what else you excel in? We love you so much. It's just his way of saying, we love you guys. You know, you excel in our love for you. But then he says, make sure you excel at living generously as well. Generosity is grace in action. If you remember in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul appeals to the Corinthians not to have received the grace of God in vain. That word vain means empty. Don't receive the grace in such a way of God that it makes it empty. And we spent a lot of time looking at what that means. It's not saving grace. When we receive saving grace, that's never in vain. Amen? Thank God for that. Saving grace isn't based on anything we do. It's all based on what Christ has done. Thank the Lord for that. But there is grace for Christian living. There is grace for doing what God has gifted you to do, graced you to do, that you, can, that you must steward. And we can be given grace to be kind and not be kind. Well, that grace has been given in vain. If we receive a gift to use to bless others in the church and we don't use that gift, that gift has been, that grace is in vain. It's not fulfilling the purposes for which God gave it to fulfill. That's true of the grace of God to be generous as well. Paul twice mentions the act of grace that generosity is. Generosity is a grace of God in our lives, but it's not activated in our lives until we act on it. Generosity isn't generosity when we feel generous. Generosity isn't generosity when we have good intentions to be generous. Generosity, that grace is activated in our lives when we act on it acting on the grace activates this particular grace in our lives the other day i was watching a commercial for saint jude's hospital and i want to tell you uh when i see these commercials i know that they're fundraising and i know that they are geared for touching the heart right and they do with me I look at these little kids suffering from cancer but being helped by St. Jude's and it gets my heart. And I see these kids, you know, sharing about their struggles but also about the joy of being cared for that the parents don't have to lay out money. It just touches my heart. And once again, I was watching this commercial and I, I physically thought to myself, that, man, Lord, that is something. I'd love to be involved in something like that. I, I believe in that. That is so the heart of God. Like it really touched my heart that where it's like 
not just I feel tears, but uh, that's a wonderful thing to invest in. Wonderful thing. However, to be honest with you, um, the, com- <clears throat> the commercial was over and I didn't do anything with that desire to be generous. <clears throat> um, we've given to them in the past, but this particular impulse went no further than being an impulse of the moment. <clears throat> and, and that's okay. I'm not saying the point here isn't that we never have our heart touched and not do anything. I mean, there's so many things we could have our, we could want to give to and that we just couldn't give to everything. That's not the point. The point of this is simply this. <clears throat> the impulse I felt wasn't generosity. It was a good impulse, but it was not generosity. Generosity isn't generosity until we act on it. This act of grace, Paul says. Generosity isn't a thought of grace. It's an act of grace. So God's got that grace ready and waiting for us, and we want to act on it. Second point for this morning is this. Generosity is a way we can invest our lives in the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at me at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by you, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus became poor. But He became poor not just to join us in our poverty, but to lift us to His riches. He came not just to empathize, but to bring relief and riches to us. Generosity isn't just becoming poor for the sake of being poor or joining the poor in their poverty. Generosity seeks to lift others to a better place. Jesus divested Himself of His riches in order to invest Himself in our lives. He gave up to give out. And Paul reminds us that's what Jesus did. That's our blessed hope. That's what we sing about. It's what we believe. So we don't want to hurry on from that. Jesus became poor that we might be rich with His riches. His riches. Ah, To think about that. To think about the day when we enter the vi- physical, visible kingdom of God and all that is His, we are inherited with Christ. That not only He hasn't only given us eternal life, but He has poured out His riches. We will be forever enjoying the, the vast riches. And don't think money. It's way bigger than that. The riches of God's love. The riches of His grace. The riches of His acceptance. The riches of His mercies. The riches of His purposes. And He's going to give you an eternal job and you are going to feel so fulfilled doing it. The riches of community. The riches of of love. The riches of peace. The riches of power. The riches. The riches. 
that we have only because Jesus became poor for us to make us rich. So we don't want to move on quickly from that. We want to meditate on that. We want to soak that in. But in this passage, Paul means more with Christ's example than just to have us soak it in. He also wants us to imitate his example. This is what Paul, his encouragement is to them, that they too, by their generosity, demonstrate the genuineness of their love in a smaller way than Christ, but in an important way, we divest to invest. And I think invest is a good word because we invest in what we love. We do. So it's good to take a look at what we have invested in. What are we investing our lives in? We're all investing our lives in something. We really are. The question is, is it a good investment or is it a bad investment? I read a story uh, from Chuck Swindoll about a, a man who decided he was going to divorce his wife of 25 years. And she had no say, so she agreed with it. Their marriage was at such a low point. As this man was working through dividing their property, he came upon a box of old canceled checks. And he opened the box and he was going through these canceled checks. When he came upon a canceled check, yellowed from age, paying for the hotel where he and his new bride had spent their honeymoon. And for a few minutes, he remembered all the hopes and all the dreams that honeymoon represented. But then he began to move on. He began to rifle through the other checks. And then he came upon a canceled check for the first installment, the first payment for their first car. And now we begin to slow down. And as he's going through these checks, he came upon the check made out to the hospital for the birth of their daughter. The check for the down payment on their first house. And the emotions began to just fill up in his heart. He called his wife and he said, we have too much invested in these 25 years to throw it away. And they decided to start afresh. Jesus said, store up or invest your treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. This is why Jesus talks about money. Not because, you know what? Honestly, I don't think God cares a whole lot about money. And you want to know something? I don't think we as a church should care a whole lot about money. I really don't. The reason money is important, the reason Jesus talks about money so much, so much, is because our money, our wallets, have an artery directly to our heart. Money is something that connects with our hearts very, very deeply. And if our treasure is in our wallet, or in our savings account, or in our stuff, our hearts not well invested. Not well invested. 
Someone might say, you know, my heart's just not in the things of God. As Randy Alcorn says, well, have you invested in the things of God? Invest in the things of God and your heart will follow. Jesus says, where you put your treasure, your heart's going to follow that. You know, I, I don't know if you think about this much. I, I find myself, maybe I'm just getting older, I don't know, but I, I find myself thinking a little bit more about looking back on life and looking back on the canceled checks of my life. And I've got plenty of canceled checks that are not great investments. But when we look when we come to the closing days of our lives and we look back on the box of the canceled checks of our lives, what will they speak about our investment? What will they say about what we invested in? Will our canceled checks all be made out to ourselves? Will they testify that we invested selfishly all of our lives? Or will we have a, a box full of canceled checks made out to generous living, acts of grace, love in action, investing in the things of God, the kingdom of God? I want us to remember that Christ gave all He had, leaving the wealth of heaven to invest His very life in our lives so that we would be rich with the riches of heaven. Paul, when he says that, he's not trying to put guilt on them. He's trying to set them free. They've made a promise. Titus is there to collect. Paul will later say to them, guys, I do not want you to be ashamed when the Macedonians, who in their extreme poverty, have made this generous contribution to the suffering in Jerusalem. I don't want you to be embarrassed because you're not ready when they come to collect. You are not faithful to the promises. So guys, pull it together before Titus gets there. Pull it together. He also goes on to say, and this is super important, he says, we take pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of men. When we steward God's money, we want to take pains, not just to do what looks right to God, but what looks right to people. That's one of the few places where Paul says something like that. Usually he's like, I don't care what people think. I just care what the Lord thinks. When it comes to handling money, we want to take pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of men. Because when church leaders misuse money, it damages, it destroys not only their credibility, but it hurts the kingdom too. It gives the kingdom a black eye. But all of that, it's not about the giving. It's not about how much. It's not about you give a lot, you give a little. It's about being generous, living generously with our lives investing in the kingdom of God. And that's a beautiful expression of grace in our lives. So I want to say this as we close. If we find our Christian experience getting smaller and smaller, if we find our Christian experience shrinking and unfulfilling, 
and we wonder what's missing. The answer may well not be that we need to get something, but we need to give something. We may not need to get more. I want more. I'm unfulfilled. Give me, give me more. The answer may not be give me more. It may be give out more. Give out more. Because that's what expands the life. That's what grows the life. That's what makes... Listen, these Macedonians, don't feel sorry for them. Man, I wish I was in Corinth. They got a lot of money, and plus they're not giving much of it. Don't feel sorry for the Macedonians. They are in extreme poverty. They are in suffering severe affliction, and they are overflowing with joy. There's a part of me that would rather have the less joy and the less all that, but, but deep inside, don't we want that? Don't we want that overflowing joy? That sense of, man, I am in the game. I am in the middle of the great, glorious things God's doing. It can be scary, amen? But that's where we want to be. Let's take the boat out one more time and see what Jesus does. And that takes us into chapter 9. I'm excited for us to look at some incredible life-expanding truths that are in chapter 9. But here and now, I just want to say, God gives us grace to be generous, to empower us to take steps to excel in the act of grace that God has for us specifically. What that is is between you and God is between me and God. But we want to be ready to be generous. We want to act and live generously to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, <clears throat> Lord, this is one of those messages that even as I'm sharing it, I... There's a part of me that's like, Lord, I'm preaching this, but don't ask too much of me. can be a little afraid. can be a little scary. But God, when we sin or we realize you're not asking us to harm ourselves. You're not asking us to do something that's foolish financially or Reckless, you're not calling us not to save, not to care for our families, not to do all those things. What you are calling us to, Lord, is to always have a generous heart. To realize that you have given us not just to consume it for our needs, <clears throat> but to look for opportunities to sow, to give, to be generous with our time, <clears throat> with our time, with our heart, with our compassion, with our skills. So God, I pray, Lord, I'm, I just pray that, Father, you will help each of us in this room to grapple with this and to look for a new grace to fill our hearts, the grace of generosity. And Lord, as we sense that grace stirring in our hearts, help us then to act on it. None of this to earn anything with you. But all of it to help us to use our fish and our loaves. Watch you multiply them. 
and lift up the name of Jesus in doing it. And so it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a super week in the Lord.